0: I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. And I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and you're listening to World Footprints.
1: One of the most powerful travel experiences I've had in my life was to bike across the United States from Portland, Maine, to the coast of Oregon, a total of about 4,500 miles totally self-supported, meaning we were on bicycles, carrying all our own gear, mostly camping. But one of the most powerful parts of that trip was we did some service projects for peace and environmental organizations. And those experiences got us into the local community in a different way.
0: That's Donna Lynn Price. She's a business growth expert and founder of the Visionary Womenpreneurs podcast. Donna hosts women leaders that are changing the world with the impact of their business. And that's how I came to know her.
2: She interviewed me for one of her shows. Donna also loves to travel, especially on a bicycle. She's part of a network that hosts Traveling Bicyclists. She really likes the opportunities that bicycling gives you to connect with other people.
1: I like bike traveling because you're more connected to people that you're going by just because you're on this bicycle and it becomes like a conversation magnet. But the days that we spent in local communities connecting with local people were extremely powerful experiences. And now, later, yeah. Sure. We welcome into our home, people that are traveling by bike and have through that experience, met people from all over the world that have come to the United States to bike across the country or bike for a month or two months on a journey. And they arrive at our house on their bicycle, carrying their gear, and we share a meal or two and offer them a space to sleep or set up their tent and a warm shower. And it's been a wonderful experience for us as a family and for our kids.
2: In fact, Donna's children have taken to traveling as a family by bicycle, and she hopes that these experiences will be as transformative for them as they have been for her.
1: We've traveled by bike with our kids on tandems, and that too has been wonderful. Just those connections that you make because you're on the road and you're talking to people. They're curious about what you're doing, and you learn how to talk to strangers and connect with strangers on the road. So bicycle travel has been a powerful mode of travel for me in my life. And I'm hoping that it becomes one for
0: my kids as well. There's something so nourishing about revisiting a favorite travel memory. And we think that we can all use a little boost to our spirits right now. So we thought since we can't travel right now, certainly not the way we used to, that it would be nice to enjoy some of our favorite travel memories.
2: If you have a travel memory that you'd like to share, email us at productionteam at worldfootprints.com for submission details. Now join us as we visit with Amanda Kendall from the Thoughtful Travel Podcast.
0: What is it about Australia that captures our imagination? We had hoped to explore parts of Australia until COVID-19 forced a change in all of our plans. So we did the next best thing. We traveled vicariously through the stories of our Australian friend and fellow travel journalist, Amanda Kendall, host of the Thoughtful Travel podcast.
2: Amanda gave us some insights into her west coast city of Perth, and how Australia has handled COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter protests, especially as they relate to the Aboriginal population.
3: A lot of initial attention was definitely paid, still is being paid to what's happening in the US and, and your Black Lives Matter campaigns there. Um, but um, equally, the Indigenous Australians have had
2: Um, a really raw deal over the last couple of centuries. Join us as we explore the land down under on World Footprints with Ian
0: and Tanya Fitzpatrick.
2: Amanda Kendall says she's not a ballerina, but a traveler and a thinker. She runs a travel blog called Not a Ballerina and hosts the Thoughtful Traveler podcast, which will share an interview with Tanya, hopefully coming real soon.
0: (laughs) That's right. And Amanda joins us from the land of Oz, not the Yellow Brick Road, but Australia, specifically the capital city of Perth in Western Australia. Amanda, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank
3: you, Tonya and Ann. It's really lovely to be here.
0: (laughs) We're happy to see you. And, you know, there's so much to talk about. And before we, we talk about, you know, travel the things we love and and um and certainly the current events because i think it's important that we we speak of those too um i want to ask you about your your podcast uh, the thoughtful travel what is thoughtful travel and what makes a thoughtful traveler Ah. Oh. It's a very
3: good question and I could probably speak for hours and hours, but I'll try and give you my my brief summary. So I think thoughtful travel is all about, I mean, it's in the name, it's about thinking things through, but I think there's things you can do before, during and after you travel. And basically it's, I think the end goal is to make travel more meaningful, both for you and for others so the people you impact, the people um, when you come home again, and for your own kind of personal and self-development. And so over the years, I've noticed how much travel has changed me. Uh, and that's the kind of things that I wanted to share when I started the Thoughtful Travel podcast. And it turned out that lots of people had the same feeling as me and lots of stories to share about being thoughtful
0: travelers. It's nice when your your initiatives are validated, I know, I was way. so pleased. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, your your website, Not a Ballerina, there has to be a story behind that.
3: <laughs> there is indeed, there is indeed. So I started notaballerina.com um, back in 2005, so 15 years ago this year, in fact, 15 years ago this month. And back then, I barely knew what a blog was when I started it. And so I just gave it like a title that was meaningful for me. And it's not a ballerina because when I was three or four years old, the, the story goes, I was dancing around in my grandmother's living room and she said to me, oh, Amanda, you could be a ballerina when you grow up. And apparently, I mean, I don't remember, but apparently I was livid and I said, no, I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so she always told me this story. And so when I um, then decided I was going to be more serious about my writing and part of that was starting this blog, not a ballerina. <laughs>
2: Now, Tanya's mentioned to me that Australia was really lucky in handling COVID-19. What did your country do right?
3: Oh, well, I mean, I think a big portion was pure luck, things like distance and isolation. Uh, Also, the timing being the summer season. So we were all Um, kind of healthy to start with it was you know no one's run down or have any you know not low immune system like in winter Uh, and we shut the borders really early so especially in my state in western australia we're very very isolated so my city of perth is um, like a three and a half hour flight from the next city in the next state it's really 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 isolated which is sometimes really frustrating, but it's turned out to be a real blessing, I think, um, during COVID-19. So overall, we've had very, very few cases compared to you know many countries in the Northern Hemisphere, certainly compared to the US. Uh, and um, yeah, I think closing borders really early helped And, yeah, just being like a a more spread out, smaller population I think also has helped a lot. So we've been really lucky, you know, so, so, so lucky. Now in our state we have, in Western Australia, we have 30 cases active at the moment, but they're all returned travellers in hotel quarantine um, and some of them are off a freight ship. Like there's no community transmission. Like I go out and I don't feel oh, I could get sick. We're still, you know, taking quite a few precautions, but not as many as we were. But I certainly don't feel any, you know, I really don't feel concerned going outside or going to shops or anything. Very lucky.
2: Now, Amanda, you live in perhaps one of the most beautiful and picturesque cities on the planet, Perth, Australia. And I first learned of it back When I was a kid watching a race, I think it was the Australian Grand Prix from Surfer's Paradise. And so I kind of learned a little about Western Australia. For those of us who've never been there, give us kind of the skinny on Perth.
3: Well, um, yeah, Perth is a beautiful place in a beautiful location. So we're coastal, we're on the Indian Ocean. We have Long, nearly empty, white sand, beautiful beaches all the way up and down our coast. It's uh, uh, it's just a gorgeous place. It's a very long, skinny city because a lot of us want to live near the coast. So I live three kilometres, you know, five minute drive from the coast, uh, and you know that's not unusual. Uh, it's also. Um, surrounded by a fair lot of bushland, lots of parks. Uh, when I go for a walk from my place, uh, I walk through lots of green space, lots of bush. My son's school is surrounded by bushland. So uh, it's, a, you know, it's a very sprawly but beautiful city. And we have the Swan River running through the middle, And right in the city centre, and it's really kind of a picturesque part of the city as well. And we have in the middle right there, we have Kings Park, which we always say is like our, well, I say it's like um, Central Park from New York in New York, but bigger and better and uh, up high and looking down over the river and beautiful bushland. It's just a, yeah, a beautiful spot. Perth's really, you know, kind of overlooked and underrated as far as being a beautiful spot. So I'm really glad to hear you say that, Ian, about it.
0: It sounds dreamy, and I'm thinking, when can we come visit? <laughs> come see me soon. I'd love to. I'd love to. Now, so in within Perth, you know, when you were talking about Perth being um, three and a half hours by flight to the next city over, I think that w- it surprises a lot of people to to hear how large of a country Australia is. So, um, within your your state, your your region, where do you like to go? I mean, where do you go as a travel journalist who's lived in other countries and travels extensively? Where do you travel within your own area? Well, I've been giving this a lot more thought than usual of late because our state
3: border is still closed and could be for quite some time. So if I'm going to travel anywhere soon, it's got to be within Western Australia, my home state. Um, The most popular area is what we call down south, which is south of Perth, you can probably guess. Um, and within kind of three to four hours from Perth, is the Margaret River wine region, which is a really popular and becoming, you know, a little bit more known internationally as well. Uh, so it's beautiful wine region and beaches, of course, as well. Um, go a little bit further and we get big forests and uh, these ancient and enormous tingle trees. And then along the southern coast is probably my favourite part. My mum's my family uh, is from down that way. And so I spent lots of holidays on the South Coast. And uh, if you keep going around a little bit further towards South Australia, we get the best beaches in the world. So, yeah, that's probably my, the most accessible parts. That's kind of the the, drive, the easily drivable parts from Perth, sort of, you know, within five or six hours drive.
0: Mm-hmm. And you also said that how expensive it is to travel within Australia. And so a lot of people, um, Australians, you know, find their way to Southeast Asia Um, because it's closer and it's cheaper, which I think is surprising. It
3: really is. And it's a real shame. I actually saw a a headline the other day. Um, So we have in the north of Western Australia, we have some really amazing national parks. Uh, But I saw a headline saying it would cost a family of four $5,000 to fly there at the moment. Uh, and that's probably fairly average, whereas in usually when borders are open, we can fly to Bali, to Indonesia, for $200 a person. So, um, you know, like a fifth of the price or less. So, yeah, the problem is, you know, not much volume, relatively small population overall. Um, all of these kind of rural areas are fairly, you know, they're, they're very small towns basically, so there's not much local traffic coming in and out by air. Uh, And everything up there or, you know, elsewhere is, even in Perth, is pretty expensive by virtue of like expensive freight costs with big distances and small population. So some of the things I referred to earlier as being a real bonus are also sometimes a bit of a negative.
2: I'm Ian Fitzpatrick and this is World Footprints. Tanya and I are speaking to Amanda Kendall from the Thoughtful Travel podcast and Not a Ballerina blog about life in Australia against the backdrop of current events. Now, Amanda, a lot of news today has revolved around the protests surrounding the death of George Floyd here in the United States and its global impact. And we've heard of protests in Australia, particularly with respect to aboriginal rights and people coming to the streets there tell us about what's happening in australia with respect to uh, the protest over black lives matter police brutality and aboriginal rights in australia
3: yeah so it's a really involved kind of um, issue for us here as well um and of course you know a lot of initial attention was definitely still is being paid to what's happening in the us and and your Black Lives Matter campaigns there, Um, but um, equally the Indigenous Australians have had um, a really raw deal over the last couple of centuries since we arrived, Um, and it's only been, like when I was a child even, it wasn't, um, it certainly wasn't even close to being resolved, it wasn't even an issue on the table, but then within the last couple of decades we've had uh, a lot more um, decisions politically and um, I think within, you know, kind of the average population that has helped somewhat improve the rights of Indigenous people, but still the statistics show, you know, health is, um, you know, have a lot of health issues that we don't face, um, Indigenous deaths in custody, this kind of thing is still a massive issue here. So um, I think we've had, you know, protests in in all the major cities in Australia last weekend for Black Lives Matter. Um, Curiously, and I don't know why, in Perth it's this weekend, but we're always a little bit slower, so perhaps that's (laughs) why we're just always behind. Um, But it's kind of become, I suppose, kind of the combined issue of All Black Lives Matter, thinking towards, um, you know, the situation in the US um, and around the world and also, you know, with a lot of thought being given to Indigenous Australians as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Now... Are the um, the indigenous people are they um, s- settled in different areas like you know our, our um, Native Americans are here that we have reservations and um, and sometimes those reservations are open to travelers who are either curious um, about the, uh, the the lifestyle and uh, traditions of our Native Americans. Do you do you have the same in Australia? Are people able to Kind of immerse them? Sort sort of. of.
3: I think probably, I mean, I don't know enough about the situation in the States to be sure, but I think probably not quite to the same extent. So, I mean, a lot of Indigenous people just live um, in cities the same way that we do, but there are some reservations, especially in um, in outback areas, so um, especially in the north of Western Australia and in the Northern Territory as well. And, in fact, during COVID-19, they were particularly... um, uh, they had a, like an extra layer of protection. They were kind of biosecurity areas because our indigenous population um, were a lot more susceptible um, health wise to mm. if like if COVID nineteen got into those communities, the um, you know it was predicted that that would be much more harmful. So those those areas were the last to reopen. Um, in fact, I I'm not sure it's this weekend or the previous weekend um, that those restrictions have finally been lifted. Um, in terms of tourism. It's still developing, like there's quite a few um, there's increasing interest and increasing kind of offerings of indigenous tourism opportunities. Uh, but I don't think it's pro- it doesn't sound to me the same as as how it um, happens in the states with going on to reservations there. It's very yeah. tricky. I mean, famously last year, the um, opportunity to climb Uluru, that you know our enormous rock in yes. the middle of Australia, finally that climb was closed. So I went there twenty years ago, and already the indigenous people of the area had you know had made it clear that they preferred we didn't climb um, because it's a very sacred place to them, but it's taken quite some time before uh, you know, I guess us white people really caught up with that. So finally last year that was closed. Uh and but, you know, it's the same thing with a lot of um, you know, the the stories and, and things like that. For example, yesterday I was just chatting with a friend who last year was on a trip to Uluru and Katajuda in the area there and um was she was explaining how she'd been more careful this time it was her second trip there when she was uh, taking photographs she's a writer and they'll be published in magazines mm-hmm. uh, there's certain areas where stories are shown and and the Indigenous people don't want those the photographs with those stories to be published um, but it's sometimes not very uh, easy to figure out which of these are okay or not and you have to have them approved and so on so she said the second time back she understood a lot better and she was able to um to respect their wishes and you know get the photos that she needed as well and kind of balance that out uh, you know more more easily with more knowledge so i mean i think it's improving but really slowly
2: by all measures uh the world is headed into a recession uh that probably started in all likelihood in february and march and so we haven't been able to travel and because of that we've had time on our hands to rethink uh our travels, past travels, and perhaps what that will say about how we will travel in the future. Have you given any thought as to how your travel might change because of this experience uh, from whatever perspective you want to take that from?
3: Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. So I think maybe fortunately for me, I'd already been heading in in the direction that this has pushed me more in, I suppose. So uh, over the last few years, I've been really focused on more slow kinds of travel and going to one place for a longer time. Um, Partly that's because I'm traveling with my son who's, who's 10 now, but obviously he's been younger over the last few years. And when I was traveling on my own with a four or five year old, then you have to slow down because they don't want to see lots of sights. So that was really helpful. Um, So I think that the kind of traveling more slowly and more in depth and, you know, taking the time to really get to know local people and really find out about a place. That's something we've probably been doing, you know, quite intentionally the last two or three years anyway. Um, The only trip I had really planned for this year at the end of the year was the same kind of thing. So I think it reinforced for me that that's what I want to do uh, and that I think that that is uh, the right way for me and him to travel at the moment. So... Mm -hmm. Um yeah, kind of was already on that path, but it's definitely reinforced that for me.
0: And what about the, the mode of travel? Because, you know, we've seen how the world has really reset because we're not flying, we're not releasing CO2 in the air. And, you know, the, I mean, the world has just kind of grown back into its original beauty in a, in a lot of ways. How, how, how are you planning, uh, if at all, to, to change even the way you, you travel or how you travel? That's an
3: excellent question. And, um, I can't do it as much as I would like because I live in this very far flung corner of the world. So I would love to really cut back on plane travel, but then I really can't go anywhere. So, um, and I'm not going to hop on a cruise ship to get there either. So, uh, I think it's still going to be plane travel, but, um, In a place, then I've always had a real love of train travel. So I, you know, if I can take a train, I will do that instead of like a short flight. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'll be paying even more attention to that in the future. Uh, But yeah, you know, the only thing I can do really is really from Australia to to most places, it's a fairly long flight. Take that one flight, stay as long as I can. So make a longer trip. So I'm not, um, you know, flying, you know, back and forth too regularly. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You you mentioned your son and I know you're getting ready to start a podcast or you may have already started a podcast with him. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I
3: can. We've got our trailer episode up and we're about to get our first few episodes up. It's called Taking Off. And so it's a podcast for kids about travel and uh, geography and culture Uh, because he's a complete travel addict and he also loves his, like, geography. He's always quizzing me on capital cities and stuff. (laughs) About a year ago, he started to be able to outrank me on all of those kinds of things, which really (laughs) distressed me because I've always been quite proud of my geography, but he's got a 10-year-old brain so he can remember (laughs) things better. Um, Yeah, so he's always been a massive podcast fan. Uh, In fact, he'll be in the other room listening to a podcast right now. That's what he always does at bedtime. And so I've listened to a lot of kids' podcasts with him and we decided that together it would be a great project to uh, start a travel podcast for kids because there's nothing, not much out there for kids like him to listen to.
0: Oh, that's lovely. So let's let's pretend that the world has come back to gone back to normal, whatever this normal will be. And uh, you're getting ready to take off on a long haul flight, maybe to the wa- Washington D.C. to visit us. Maybe, yes. <laughs> so on this long haul flight, if you can choose anyone to sit next to, past or present, who might that be?
3: as in not my son someone
0: else
2: yeah well I'm- oh <laughs> um
3: oh let me think i would love to sit next to someone who could tell me ah gosh that's a great question something more about history um you know something someone who's lived through really amazing times in the world i'm I mean, I guess because of uh, the themes of the weeks, uh, Nelson Mandela springs to mind. Someone that I could really quiz um, about, um, you know, about having lived through times of massive change. So, yeah, oh, someone like that. I think I'm not sure. <laughs> that's my that's my initial first response.
0: <laughs> well, and you can always have your son right right in the middle between the two of That's you That's good. He'd
2: so, fit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a skinny little thing.
0: <laughs> oh, bless. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: We will have links to Amanda's blog and podcast on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You've been listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints is making a social impact and connecting you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Make a difference and travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift. We have just for subscribers.
0: You know, Amanda said something very important, and I think we're all going to adhere to this, and that's the fact that this time has really encouraged her to travel slower. And I know we've talked about traveling slower, and sometimes it's hard when you're on press trips and there's itineraries you have to follow. When we have traveled on our own, we have really taken our time and really immersed ourselves in the culture and enjoyed the offerings that were there for us.
2: Sometimes one of the things about traveling slower is just really doing less and enjoying standing still and being out there, perhaps in nature, or just not doing as much, uh, packing in as much activity, but allowing oneself to be grounded in more of the moment, and so. That's one way that we're trying to do it slower, and also by not traveling as far as we're looking at doing a camping trip in just a few weeks.
0: We're traveling more locally because of COVID-19, but I'm really looking forward to this camping trip we're going to take. And, you know, really, again, it's just about taking time to breathe, or as they say, smell the roses. And, you know, as we've been watching current events unfold, it's really been insightful and awakening to see that people around the world even as far as Perth Australia are suffering uh, and and fighting against the same things we have been in this country human rights you know police brutality I don't know how to feel about that I mean I I'm, I'm shocked on one hand and and really disappointed to see that this is really a global challenge
2: well it's good to see how inspiration can travel globally and bring attention to issues that are impacting people all over. And so it's good to know that there are people all over the world who are fighting and standing up for the same thing.
0: I'm just disappointed to know that racism is uh, a global issue and, you know, to really see that up close and personal as we have been um, throughout the world. You know, I I hope we can visit Australia one day, dear. That's my hope. And to really experience from the outback to the culture and history, there's a lot there. It's an old country.
2: And we will get there one day. Mm
0: -hmm. In these final moments, we want to leave you with the words of former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry that really echoes something you've heard from us many times over. Traveling enables us to see the world through the eyes of someone else and to understand their aspirations and assumptions. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are honored that you chose to spend this time with us and that you have allowed us to offer meaningful connections through the stories we share on World Footprints.
4: This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Public Radio Exchange, and many more. Connect with the world with a deeper understanding through powerful stories. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and compelling articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter and receive a free gift. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast and website are those of the guests and authors and are not necessarily endorsed by World Footprint LLC.